Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church with Pastor Jim Balzano. Well, I'm going to speak to you here this morning. And um, how many of you, I, I know if you're of my generation or older, and uh, probably younger for a lot of you, but some may not, you know this phrase, the Hatfields and the McCoys. What an amazing, amazing, amazing story. I, I, I watched the, the miniseries when it was on, and, and there's this almost 30-year feud that takes place between these two families. And, and it's just amazing. This, this feud claimed 13 lives of family members. And, and it's amazing, the stuff that, it, it, that, that one of the main reasons that this feud took place was over a pig. A pig. It's amazing. Somebody stole somebody's pig and somebody lied about somebody's pig. And the next thing you know, they're out killing the guy who lied about the pig. And now they got to get revenge and they got to get revenge for that guy. And eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and this whole vengeance thing. And then all of a sudden, then you got this one guy who falls in love with a McCoy. A Hatfield fell in love with a McCoy. Now we got a real problem. We got a pig. We got a budding romance between them. All right. And, and then you have an election day fight because nobody ever fights over politics. There's an election day fight in which Ellison Hatfield gets stabbed 26 times. Wanted to really make sure he was dead. Okay. Once wasn't enough. 26. He dies three days later. Ants Hatfield. He finds the three that stabbed him. They take him out in the woods. They blindfold him. They tie him to trees and they kill him. And this feud is going back and forth and back and forth. And, and man, it's just crazy. Well, this morning, I'm going to speak to you a message that's entitled, we, we have our series, What's Love Got to Do With It? And today's message is Loving the Hatfields and the McCoys. Because how many know them Hatfields are easy to love if you're a Hatfield? Them McCoys, now that's another story. Those Christians are easy to love. But those ungodly people, I don't know about them. This week, and I'm going to start with this. Um, this is just a little lead up to where we're going. This week, we have seen another tragedy in our American school, all right? Horrific, terrible, gut-wrenching, heartbreaking. Families sent their children to school only to have not returned. Their worlds have been turned upside down. Teachers who survived little children gunned down before their eyes. Children saw others gunned down before their eyes. First responders had to deal with the carnage of what happened. Their lives will never be the same. None of them. Not one person who was a part of that will ever be the same again. And then there's the shooter. How do you get to that point in life? What happens that you turn into this person that would have enough hate and hurt and whatever else is going on inside of you to walk into a school and open fire? And then his family and his related ones, and they'll never be the same again either. And then it starts through the news and social media, the heartfelt condolences of prayers, the social media buzz to offer support and offer love that slowly gives way to anger. And then the finger pointing starts. It's the Republicans' fault because of their lack of gun control laws. It's the Democrats' fault because of their wanting gun control laws. It's the liberals who got prayer out of school. That's who's at fault. It's the video game industry's fault. It's the movie industry's fault. It's a generation of parents 
who have been blamed for every misgiving of this generation. It's God's fault. I hear everyone and everything blamed except who really is the author of it. If you believe in God, then don't you assuredly believe in Satan? The Bible says he came to kill, steal, and destroy. The work of kill, stealing, and destroying is done through people. History tells us that. But that's not the point of this message. Let me go on. You you see, because once the initial heartfelt pleasantries are done with, and all the condolences are shared, then it starts. Then it starts, even before a parent buries their child. Let me say this to Christ followers, okay? Christ followers. Let me say this. Now is not the time. Okay, a day after, two days after. And now is not the time to defend your gun control position. People are mourning. Now is not the time to speak for or against gun control. Now is not the time to defend your political party or attack their political party. It's not the time to point fingers. It's not the time to point fingers at a generation. We, made a, we make a blanket statement over a generation. However, now is the time. Now is the time to weep with those who weep. When we lost our ability to weep with people in the midst of mourning. Now is the time to mourn with those who mourn. Now is the time to grieve with those who grieve. It's a time to love with those who lost those they love. Now's the time to embrace a person, not a position. Even, and again, you may not be somebody who lost your child in Florida. It may be somebody in this very city who is just, just on the opposite side of the equation as you. Now's not the time. When you start into the debate, no, not today. Let's just meet, let's mourn together. Let's grieve together. Let's love together. Now is not the time, or now is the time to hold a hand, not point a finger. It's a time to reveal a loving God, not an angry people. Now is the time to love. For if we make it a time for politics, blame, shame, then the author of it continues to perpetrate his agenda after the shooting. You see, it's never just about the shooting for him. For him, it's never simply about those who get shot. It's about what happens after. It's about you. It's about the soul of a country. It's about the soul of a nation. It's never about just the event. It's about what he starts with an event. How do we, Christ followers, I'm not using the word Christian, as you notice for a moment. How do we thwart the one who is evil? How do we come against his plan? How do we thwart this diabolical plan? How do we even remotely possibly bring something divine out of something so wicked? Is it even possible? It is, but it's a path that's harder to travel than hate. Because I mean, hate is an easier path to travel than love. It's a road more difficult to navigate than anger. It's a trail tougher than blame. That path is called love. True, authentic, godly love will overcome the sinister plot of Satan. Do you know how I know this? Because it's God's love that has overcome his sinister plot ever since the Garden of Eden. There's a way, there's a path, there's a direction we have to take. And it's not an easy path, it's not an easy trail, it's not natural, and it doesn't feel good, quite frankly. 
It's the path of love. And so, so how do we do this? And so today I'm going to deal with this a little bit because we were in this middle of this love message series. And I'll read you a scripture. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Jesus is speaking. He's speaking to the people. He says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Do you know there are sometimes I just don't like the words of Jesus? Like literally, like, what do you mean? He hits me in the cheek, I got to hit me in the other one? No, I don't like this scripture. <laughs> I know, some of you, oh no, pastor, it's a natural thing for me. I'm going to go out there and hit you. All right? If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Oh, there he goes again, saying that stuff I don't want to do. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Yeah, I'm going to pray for those who persecute me. God, kill them. That's praying. (laughs) I mean, that's probably not the thing he meant. Persecute you. So that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you're to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Let me make a couple of observations about this scripture in, in light of some of the stuff I see what happens sometimes in our country. I'm reading this and Jesus says, you heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. How many know that was the whole theme of the Hatfield-McCoy feud? You kill one of mine, I kill one of yours. You do this, I do this, all right? Let me talk to you about this eye for an eye for a moment. I see something, I sense something that I think should scare us. And that I, what I see is much of an American Christianity is living with an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth mentality. I know, it's like, pastor, you're going to start stepping on things I don't want you to step on. You mock ours, we mock yours. You insult ours, we insult yours. You say this, we say that. You mock my guy, I mock your guy. You talk about my guy, I talk about your guy. You talk about me, I talk about you. You ridicule me, I ridicule you. We're playing tit for tat with unbelievers. We're expecting unbelievers to act like believers and they're never gonna act believers because they're not believers. And we get all offended when they don't act like believers. And so we, we get into a tit for tat game. How many know you can only play ping pong as long as somebody hits the ball back? Game over. You don't have to return. You don't have to return serve. I, I believe the enemy sometimes is going, watch this, watch this. Gets a little demons around, watch this. I'm going to serve one up, watch him hit that sucker back. And here it comes, boom, told you. Watch me send this one. This is, this is a hate one over the net. Yep, here it comes back. Let me send this one. I'm going to mock this guy. Watch, they'll send this back. You watch in a heartbeat. It's coming right back. Boom, boom, boom. Listen to me. Let the ball go once in a while. Okay. An eye for an eye may satisfy your sense of vindication and vengeance, but rarely does it bring the justice of God. We're playing tit for tat. 
And let me just, let me, I know, I know I'm right now I'm going to tick some people off. I don't give a rip what the view said about Mike Pence. When he starts, listen, when he, so they said he, that, that he's mentally ill because he says Jesus talks to him. Guess what? Makes me mentally ill too. Okay. I've been called worse. Sometimes I'm not sure I'm not mentally ill. Like, why are we such sissies? Why are we so bent out of shape? Listen to you. They said worse about Jesus. Listen, whenever, whenever we get to Paul, what Paul said, three times I was beaten 40 minus one. 39, I was beaten three times, 39 times with a whip. I was shipwrecked. I was naked. I was stoned. I was left for dead. I was, wait, listen, when that starts happening, somebody let me know. It is happening in other parts of the country, world. It is happening in North Korea. It is happening in Afghanistan. It is happening in other places in the world. This is America. Nobody has stopped us from saying what we want. We can preach the gospel anytime we want. I mean, they even let me on television every week. Do not resist an evil person. We're trying, we're spending all of our time trying to resist. Stop. Just let it go. If they sue you, take your shirt, give them your coat. No, 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 no. We want what's ours. Love your enemy. But I say to you, or love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those. One of the problems is, in my opinion, the reason that we're playing so much eye for an eye, we're playing so much tooth for a tooth, is because we've got an offended church. The church as a whole in America is an offended church. And that's a problem. The reason that's a problem is because an offended church cannot reveal an unoffended Savior. <laughs> Jesus walked the earth and he wasn't offended. He was more offended by religion than he was people's sin. He was more, uh, more offended by what was going on in the temple than he was what was going on outside the temple. We're offended about everything. We're just, we just walk in offense all the time. We're angry all the time anymore. We're offended about everything. And social media is not helping. A political church cannot reveal a non-political redeemer. A loving church reveals a loving savior. An offended church cannot love an offending world. Think about some of this. I'm not even in my message yet. I'm just giving you some observations for what I'm reading and seeing. We must stop being offended by those who don't know Christ. We must stop being offended by those who cannot ascertain spiritual truth. You and I are able to ascertain spiritual truth because we're born anew from above and now we have an understanding of spiritual things. And we're expecting the ungodly and those who aren't saved, who do not have the spirit of God, to act like people who have the spirit of God. Hello. I expect those who do not know Christ to say things and do things that aren't Christ-like. I don't understand why we're losing our minds when this happens. I mean, please give me a little more to be offended about than they said my vice president might be mentally ill. Please give me a little more to be offended about. 
The church spent 16 years mocking and ridiculing Bill Clinton, Al Gore, and Barack Obama. I'm just telling you. I heard it. I've been in the sermons. I've been in there. I've seen them mocked from pulpits. I expect the ungodly. But what I don't expect is for the kingdom of God people, the people of God, to respond as unbelievers. Think about it. How do, so, so, so how do I love people who may not share my view, who actually oppose my view? How do I love people who don't share my perspective or my position? How do I love people who mock me? And how do I love people who mock my faith? And how do I love people who say I'm crazy for talking to Jesus and Jesus talks to me? Hmm? How do I do that? You know? Well, I'm going to take us through a few things and maybe I can make some sense out of this. All right? First of all, I want us to start with this principle. Here's the first principle. Number one is love is a person. Love is a person. We often equate it with an action or an emotion, right? A feeling. Oh, I'm so love. I'm Twitter-pated. So you're like, what's he talking about? Bambi. You got to see Bambi. All right? Love is a person. The Bible says the one, 1 John, the one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. 1 John 4, 16 says, For we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. See a key word there, anybody? Abides, right? It it means to reference a place, not depart. To continue in. It means to... um, for it not to perish. It means a state or a condition. It means to remain as one. Remain as one, not to become another or different. All right, so think about this. The scripture says that God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Hmm, interesting. If I remain in love, then I remain in God. If I abide in love, I abide in God. God is love. He doesn't, he doesn't, yes. He doesn't just love me. He is love. Okay? So when I'm I'm saved, I am receiving a person. Not just a philosophy. All right? When I come to salvation, I'm loving a savior, not an idea. All right? When I come to salvation, I am loving God, not a concept of God. When Jesus said the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, he was not saying love a concept of God. He was saying love God because love is a person. God is a person. Okay? You're not falling. Many people fall more in love with the idea of going to heaven than they do the one who's in heaven. When a man and a woman get married, they receive each other to each other. Amen? Right? They don't exchange an emotion and they give themselves to each other. Number one commandment, love God, heart, mind, soul, and strength. Our highest calling, first and foremost, is to love the person. And this morning, you're going to hear that word a lot, the person. And what I mean by that, that person is Christ. All right? Our highest calling is to love the person, and that person is Christ. Christ. We better love him more than we love his church. We better love him more than we love his principles. We better love him more than anything else. We love him first. All right. Now, 
Let's think about this for a moment. So the Bible says that God is love. And if I love him, God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Hmm. So here's a question I have. If God is love, and love is God, then shouldn't I become love when I become one with Christ? How many know we all say we become the righteousness of Christ? Right? We like to pay those things. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Praise God for that. We say all these things we identify with. But I'm going to challenge you this morning. If God is love, if God is love and love is God, and I become one with Christ, then I would suggest to you that we should become love. It's not something we do. It's something we are. Anybody with me? In other words, it's not something I have to create. It's not something I have to think about. It's not something I have to do. It's something I am. Right? Some people are naturally some things. Right? I mean, you know, like, like we, we joke around the office. We have different personalities around the office, in case you haven't noticed. One of our resident office dwellers is Teresa. We call her woo-woo. W-O-W-O. Why? Because a few months ago, a number of months ago, we did some personality tests and some different things. Strengths Finder, Strengths Finder 2.0 we did with our staff. And at the end of hers, her number one, whatever it was, attribute was called woo, W-O-O, winning others over. Because Teresa hasn't met a person she can't talk to. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Okay. When John and Teresa came to this church many, many years ago, they came into this church, and you could not help be their friend because they made themselves friendly. That's a fact. They got involved. They got in. That's who they naturally are. It's not something they work at. It's not something they think of. They're just who they are. I'm saying to you this morning that if God is love, and love is God, and we're one with Christ, then love is what we become. It's not what we do. Ouch. I don't like that scripture either. I'm going to strike out a lot of scriptures in my Bible. Like too convi- it's like just too convicting sometimes. You've got to stop trying to do it and be it. If God is, let me, let me give you a statement. If God is love, now watch this, and love is God, and I'm one with him, then I am presenting him when I love. Who am I presenting when I love? I'm presenting Christ. If God is love and love is God and I am one with him, then when I'm loving you, I'm presenting Christ to you. I mean, you get married and you go, out and you, you, you go somewhere and, and, and you meet somebody and you like, hey, Bob, how are you? Bob, it's so good to see you. Let me introduce you to my wife, Penny. I'm presenting her to you. When I love and I am love and I'm loving somebody, I am presenting the one that I am one with. Okay, listen to me. So, so my challenge to you is we've got to remove the concept of it being a, just an action. We know there are loving things we do, but rather we've got to start thinking this as well, is that's who I become because I'm becoming like Christ. And if I'm becoming like Christ, then I am love. Okay, so when I love, I'm presenting a person. When I'm loving you, I'm presenting Christ to you. When I'm loving the world, the world, the ungodly, I'm showing them Christ. How many of you think it's important that those who don't know Christ see Christ? And unless they have a Damascus Road experience like Saul, they're only going to see him through you and me. And sometimes the one that I present isn't all that nice. (laughs) Hi, dude. 
You come see me? Yes, you can. Put them down. Rotten dude. <laughs> let me tell you something. <laughs> I don't, let me tell you something. These things are not cued, okay? These things are not set up ahead of time. But I'm telling you, that little guy walks in the back of the church, and some people would say, well, he's going to interrupt his message. You better believe it. Why? Because I love him more than I love you. <laughs> ah! And there's one thing I always want him to know is how much he's loved. Amen? This is a God moment when these things happen. Just get a picture right now of how the Father wants to embrace you, love on you, <laughs> All right, I gotta keep working. You wanna go back out to daddy? Yeah. Okay, love you. Ready? Ready, set, go. <laughs> relationship. That's relationship. That's love. That's relationship. Okay? He's not an interruption. You know? God doesn't look at us as an interruption. <laughs> I love when things come together. That's right. But like the guy on the A-team. I love it when a plan comes together. I don't have a plan. All right? I must view love as more than a feeling, an action, or emotion, but rather an introduction to God, a presentation and a revelation of Jesus. Why do we have so much problem with this and trouble with this? Why does it appear that we're not doing this, okay? And I'm going to tell you why. First of, all, it, or first of all, love is a person, but why can't we do this? Why do we struggle doing this? And let me give you the point, because I think what's happening is we are more focused over defending a position rather than presenting a person. We've got to get to person over position. We've got to get to the place where I am more ready to introduce the person than I am to defend the position. All right, now think about this. If we're not careful, we've made Christianity now about positions more than a person. These are our position papers. This is what we do, this is what we don't do, this is where I go, this is where I don't go, this is what I wear, this is what I don't wear, this is what I say, this is what I don't say. Let me give you the list of my position papers. If we're not careful, we've become more consumed with defending our positions than we are presenting the person of Christ. When I love, I present Christ. When I love, I reveal Christ. When I love the ungodly, those who don't follow him, I'm presenting him to them. Pick an issue. Pick a position. And I'm not saying I don't agree with some of the positions. Please don't go there today. I agree with some positions that we stand on. All right? I agree. I'm, I'm not one who thinks that people should, that, that you have, should have your guns taken. I am one that says we better figure out a solution to our school systems. But that's neither here nor there. I'm not about that. I'm not saying that. I don't believe in abortion. Okay, so, so don't think the pastor's just like saying that we should not defend any positions. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is my number one priority is to present him before I do a position. Pick one. Pick, just pick one. We cannot love people if we're more concerned about defending our position. We cannot present Christ when we're more concerned about defending a position than loving people. American Christianity is in jeopardy of being more consumed with defending our positions rather than presenting the person. Why is the church world getting involved in gun control arguments the day after 17 kids have been shot in a school? Take time to mourn, love, grieve. 
with others. Now is not the time. Present the person. Present the person. There'll be time to argue the position later. Do you understand what I'm saying? The person that we want to present often gets overshadowed because we're so fixated on the position. There's something about that position that makes us feel morally superior to other people, isn't there? We like that feeling. Wow, this generation, they've raised a bunch of kids, blah, blah, blah. Stop it. No, they didn't. We got a lot of great kids in this generation. Just stop it. Just stop that stupid stupidity. And you want to pull, and if you think that generation is so bad, then you start pulling their destiny out of them rather than, than destroying them. That's the reason we take a Wednesday nights now and we take a moment of time and we bring kids in and we read their names, we read their meanings, we give them a scripture and we pray a prayer over them. We're going to pull a destiny out of them. You, you see, we, we can't present Christ when we're more concerned about defending a position than loving a person. You see, because here's what we have to understand. We got to understand this. When people get a revelation of the person, their positions change. Paul had a position. Saul, the persecuting Pharisee, had a position. These Christians need to die. They need to be imprisoned. They need to be persecuted. They need to be beat. You weren't going to change his position. You weren't going to argue with him from Scripture. This guy was a Pharisee. He understood all the Old Testament Scripture. The reason he was doing it was because of his position for God. And what happens? He has a revelation of Jesus Christ. And the revelation of Jesus Christ changed his position. I would suggest to you that the more we show Jesus, the more positions will get changed. The more that we reveal Jesus to a world, the more a world will see a Jesus who is good and loving. And they may just think, you know what? My my thought processes need to change. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He came to Jesus by night. Had a little change of thinking after an encounter with him. But what happens is we're so fixated on the position that the person gets overshadowed by the position. He's there, but he's in the shadow of our position. They get a revelation of the person when you and I choose to love them despite their position. Like, I don't really agree with you on this. I love you. I'm not going to mock you. I'm not going to ridicule you. I'm not going to insult you. I'm not going to persecute you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to disagree with you, but I'm going to love you. Let's go get dinner. (laughs) I'll buy. If we will present the person, get this, he will protect his positions. Because I mean, no, it's his positions we want to stand on anyhow. I'm not saying, all right, let me say it again. If we present the person, he will protect the positions. I'm not saying we should never stand for a position, but never in the place of love. Never at the cost of love, never at the sake of love. If you defend a position from an unloving place, it cheapens your position. If you, listen, if you defend your position from an unloving place, it will cheapen your position. It's really quiet in here. 
You can be against abortion and do it in love. You can be for or against gun control laws one way or the other and do it in love. You cannot like when somebody, some, what's not like what somebody says, but not without love. You, you, you can dislike what I'm saying today. Still love you. If the position robs you of your love, what good is the position? You see, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, was literally talking to them about some of the positions of the day. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth. They hit you, you hit them. They gouge your eye out, you gouge their eye out. No, 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 I'm coming against that position in the spirit of love. And I'm saying to you, you go the second mile. You turn the other cheek. I really don't like these scriptures, but I know it's what Jesus meant. He says, you, you, Jesus, and, and you've heard it said, your position to this point has been to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Love's going to override that position. He said, because, he says, because listen, because listen, he says, because guess what? You're no more blessed than the ungodly. I gave them son, and I gave you son. I gave them rain, I gave them rain. Don't think so high of yourself. Because sometimes we would just like for him to take those ungodly and just destroy them. Hmm? If we'll present the person, he'll protect the position. So let me close in another hour or so. See, how do we do this? Like, like okay, so I'm hearing you, Pastor. Okay. I don't want to be an offended church and I don't want to operate eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, but we know we all do it. And so I don't, I don't want to focus on position over the person. How do I do this? And, and I want to come back to this phrase. There's another phrase that, how many know today that the person is the standard? The person is the standard. The person, meaning Jesus, is the standard for you and I. There is no other standard. If you don't look and sound like Jesus in love, you're wrong. If I don't look and sound like Jesus when I'm dealing with the world or dealing with believers, I am wrong because Jesus is the standard. Now, I would rather somebody else be the standard. Because if somebody else can be the standard, I might feel better against that standard. But when Jesus becomes the standard, hmm. So Jesus is the standard. And what does that look like? Well, I'm bringing you back to last week. Remember last week, chapter 13, John, chapter 13. The Bible says he now was getting ready to show them the full extent of his love. The master, the savior, the king of kings, the Lord of lords gets up from that table He takes the vessels of a servant. He takes a pitcher, a basin, and a towel. And he goes up to these men and he begins to pour water. Because of love, he humbled himself. Because of love, he humbled himself. I ask you this morning, Christ's follower, can you humble yourself because of love? Can we humble ourselves before the ungodly sometimes in order to reveal him? Can we humble ourselves to love? Pride never loves. 
Pride loves self. Because of love, he humbled himself. He picked up the servant vessel and began to wash, one after the other. Peter, the one who would disown him. I'm washing his feet. He's going to disown me. James and John and the others who would desert him. Remember, they deserted him, scattered like sheep. His greatest hour of need, they fell asleep. His greatest hour of need, they ran. He washed their feet. And then Judas, the one who would betray him. I don't want to wash his stinking feet. I just like punch him in the face. Why did he do this? So they would see it, they would receive it, and they would do it. He took the vessels of a servant, as I said last week, and what he was doing was more than washing feet. He was taking the vessels of a servant and then creating vessels of love out of humanity. And I want to suggest to you this morning, he's still looking for the creation for us to be vessels of love. And then he goes on to tell them a few things. After this poignant and powerful moment, he says things like this to him. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Even as I've loved you, that you also love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. The person is the standard of what love is and what it looks like. It looks and smells like Jesus. And then he says to them in Matthew, or John 13, 35, by this, all men will know you're my disciples if you'll love for one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. Listen to me. How many know in that day and age, there were a lot of disciples running around? There were a lot of disciples of a lot of Pharisees. How many know there was more than just the 12 disciples? The 12 disciples of Jesus. But how many know there were disciples of Gamaliel? There were disciples of other Pharisees. There was many disciples on the, on the face of the earth at the time. And Jesus said to them, and oh, by the way, the thing that's going to set you apart from every other, disciple, uh, every other teacher so that people will know that you're my disciples is your ability to love one another. The distinguishing mark of Christ's followers is love, not position. Is love. You want to be set apart in this world? Love from another world. Love from another dimension. We want to be set apart sometimes. We want to, we want to set ourselves apart by the things we do, the dress code we might have, the, the things we say, the things we don't say, where we go, where we don't go, what we do, what we don't do. We want all those things to be the things that set us apart. And I know there's holiness that we do. I understand that. But I want to tell you this. If you will love, you will be set apart. If you will love, people will look at you, especially the ungodly, and they'll say, what is wrong with that person? They must be mentally ill. (laughs) Of course, because it doesn't make sense. It is not the way of the world, but it is the way of the kingdom. It is not the way of America, but it is the way of the kingdom. And I will remind us over and over, your first priority in life is not to be American. It is to be kingdom. You can, you, you want to you save America? Be kingdom. Kingdom. 
In the AG, we have a saying you know, that our Pentecostal distinctive is, is, is the, the filling of the Holy Spirit and baptism in the Holy Spirit in tongues. They call that our Pentecostal distinctive. Whatever. All right? I'm going to tell you what, whatever. I want to tell you what our distinctive is. As a Christ followers, our distinctive is love. It's love. It sets us apart. It shows us to be Christ followers. It shows him. Jesus said, don't know you're my disciples if you love one another. Let me say this. I'm getting ready to close. Come on, Troy. I lost him. There he is. Matthew 5. He's speaking to a group of people on a mountain. He said, listen, here's the positions you've held. Here's the positions of the world. An eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. You operated in that. We're new covenant people. How many know we're not old covenant people? He, he says, now, no longer do you operate eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. No longer do you love just your neighbor and hate your enemies. Now you love your enemies and you pray for them. And then, so he gives us the context there. What does that look like? It looks like washing the feet of the one who would betray you. It looks like washing the feet of the ones who would desert you. It looks like being on a cross and saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That's what it looks like. And and then he says to his own disciples, now listen, you love each other. You love each other in your group so they will know you're my disciples. <laughs> Let's start here for a moment in these walls. Inside of these walls, there's got to be a true, authentic, genuine love for each other. It just has to be. Why? So we can be a church in a city where people would see a presentation of Christ through our love for each other. Because how many of churches love to bicker with each other? Okay. (laughs) I know you know better. There's a lot of unloving things that happen in church. It's an oxymoron. It should never happen. But then, we got to figure out how it is that as believers, when I'm becoming one with Christ... I'm now becoming love that then enables me to present him to even those who irritate me and don't believe like me and think like me and I might even have mocked me or mocked my faith. I'm glad you have a faith they mocked. (laughs) I'd be more worried if they didn't mock your faith. See, it's easy to love them their Hatfields. Because <laughs> them their Hatfields are like me. They're kin. <laughs> Trying my best to go down there. They're kin. Blood is thicker than water. They're like me. They think like me. They're on my side. Them there. See, we're all Hatfields here. 
them there McCoys over there? Nah, I ain't loving them. No, they stole my pig. I'm going to kill them. I want my pork chops. <laughs> when we laugh, you think, oh my gosh, they're killing people over a pig. Think of the, some of the stuff we get ourselves embroiled in. Let me lash out. They talked about Mike Pence. Oh, stop it. Stop it. Just stop it. Get a grip. What do you expect Whoopi to say? What do you expect Joy to say? Okay. Last time I checked, the Bible told me God had my rear guard. Okay, I got to go over here and see the McCoys. Some of you are already mad because you wanted to be a Hatfield. Now you're a McCoy, and I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> and this is McCoy's. Now we can love each other over here because this is the Tyrone crew back here. They're the Tyrone McCoy's. Okay. And they got a special little thing going on. They're a little bit more weird than the rest of the McCoy's. Okay. <laughs> okay. And then you look over there and you see those, see those Hatfields. Like, oh, man, I hate them. They're not like me. I hate them. We're doing it in our country. We're doing it in our country between believers and unbelievers, Republicans and Democrats. Let us focus on presenting the person rather than defend the position. Let us focus on becoming one with the God who is love so we become love and we have a presentation of a person that will change a position. I don't need to change a position. I need him to change the positions. And he'll change the positions if I'll present him. If I'll present him. My passion this morning is that we would figure out how to present the lover of our souls to a world and seize him. And not our anger and not our wrath and not our mock and not our ridicule. Not our frustration. But that we would show them. Show them the person. Father, this morning. God, I ask you to help us. It's not a natural thing we try to do. It's not a natural thing I'm talking about. It's unnatural. Not to return eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. It's unnatural. To go a second mile when somebody wants you to go one. It's not natural. When somebody slaps you on the cheek and you're supposed to turn the other cheek. It's not natural. You slap me, I want to fight. You mock, I want to mock you back. You ridicule, I want to ridicule you back. Father, may our positions never become more sacred than you. May we stand on positions but stand with the spirit of Christ and the love of Christ. May we not be an offended church. May we not be an offended church. May we not hide you behind our positions. May we take the time to weep and to mourn with those who are weeping and mourning. Now before us is an opportunity 
It's an opportunity to present the loving, kind God who we're one with. Now is an opportunity to reveal you. And so, Father, this day I would challenge us. I would challenge me. I would charge us to be more about the person than the physician. That we would not feed the animal that's trying to steal and to kill this nation. That we would not feed it. We'd starve it. And love would starve it. So, Father, this day, I call us to a person. I call us to become one with that person. I call us to become love. I call us to love the Hatfields and even the McCoys. In Jesus' name. Come on, stand up with me. Let's sing something.